Real big. I know one day I would do it real big. First of all, Najula, I am so excited that we're in the process of having this conversation. It's been long overdue. Um, so for everybody listening, uh, Najula is the founder of SCL, SLCO, an agency, um, Idea Trust. She specializes in business design, making the ability to innovate more equitable, accessible, and more damn fun. I just really like that because uh, <laughs> that's that is so you. It just really encapsulates you and your personality all in one sentence. But um, Najla, could you uh, before you tell us a little about about yourself? Um, you know, I, I just think Najla, you definitely have a, an incredible business mind, um, and I just feel like the world just needs more of you. Honestly, like I wish we could clone you, but. Um, <laughs> Najla is a strong uh, thought leader and someone who has the ability to just command a room very well. Um, she does this around the globe, and I think we're really in for a treat today. So, um, Najla, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do? Absolutely. Honestly, I'm like, wow, that pretty impressive. Najla, wow. Um, so, yeah, so I, this is SL Co. I sort of like, I don't say it out loud enough. So it's SL Co. SL Co. SL Co. is a business model design agency. And um, so I'm, I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. You know how I feel about being from Brooklyn. Um, my ego's out of control <laughs> when it comes to being um, um, a New Yorker. So born and raised in New York to immigrant parents, both my parents are Haitian and Dominican, um, which is obvious which are the same island, but also complicated because of the history there. Uh, and so um, when I started, kind of freelancing and going into entrepreneurship my parents were like honestly my mom my mom told me she was like business is for white people who have time on their hands and that's just not us um and so it was like being an entrepreneur now not only that but like being an innovation now is just so different from my upbringing I grew up around like home health aides security drivers black sea um black gypsy cab drivers in New York and um, so yeah, so seeing my community never have opportunity and options is the reason why I'm so um, so consistent with my message on like inclusive innovation because I want to make their lives better. Um, I want to you know give them opportunities, but I don't want I, I don't I want to make it um, accessible to them as possible. I don't want it to feel like they have to forget everything they know or who they are in order to kind of join, you know, a movement or join a new world. So a lot of that has actually informed who I am as a person, as an entrepreneur and like a, a leader. That's a lot, Najla, you know, and right now, I think the beauty of your background really kind of tells or paints the picture of how you became um, who you are and a big part of, you know, what you're becoming. Um, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, um, but could you talk a little bit more about how you grew up in and how that impacts your work um, on a day-to-day -day basis? It's everything, Rob. It is everything. <laughs> <laughs> if I start talking about my mama, I'm like, oh, teary-eyed and, and whatnot. Um, I think, first of all, growing up, I did not grow up in necessarily the easiest household. And there were so many, there were so many parts of my upbringing that were really tough 
Um, it was having parents, like hurt people hurt people. I love my parents, especially my mom. Like I grew up in a two-parent household, but it was really my mom who like held things down. She was mother and father and, and, and all of those different things. And my parents never had the bandwidth financially, mentally, um, like physically to find joy, to be happy people, to dream and to hope, right? I feel like so many um, immigrant kids have that similar experience where it's like everything's poured into us because our parents, it's not just we're carrying our parents' dreams. They, they feel like they're finished. They feel like there's yeah. nothing left for me here, but I can, I can make sure that you have what I don't have. And so that's a big part of my upbringing. My mom's a home health aide. And the indignities that she has suffered in her career is so wild. The racism that she's experienced, mm. the as a Haitian, the xenophobia that she's experienced, the colorism that she's experienced. I mean, every there's every level of isms as she gets older, the ageism that she's experiencing um, has deeply impacted me. And so when as I, you know, just black girl around in New York and I was like the smart black girl because that was like, I found comfort in that title. I was very curious as a child. And so I was like, okay, if I can just become what my mom wants me to become, then her life will become better and her life will become easier. Um, but what they don't tell you is that when you have parents who live in a small world, that your world also becomes small. <clears throat> and then, so now you have parents who are telling you to dream big, but you're like, but I don't know what big is. How can I dream of things that I've never seen or experienced before? So you feel crazy because you feel like you're living in a fantasy land. You're like, you're telling me to go live this life that I literally have nobody to show me what that looks like. Um, and that's why like the, the role of imagination is such a big part of who I am when it comes to being an entrepreneur and when it comes to innovation. And I can like actually say that like imagination has saved me from white supremacy like that sounds like a very intense statement but it's true it was my ability to like think outside of the boxes I was placed in that has made me the person that I am it's amazing Najla um and you know I, I think you have one of those personalities where you just call things out. <laughs> and so when you see a business person or someone that's operating in a business, um, do you typically find yourself slipping in the coach mode slash fix it mode? Or do you kind of allow people the time to ask you for help? I know for me, I, I've been like, I was like, Najla, I need you in my life to help me uh, with, you know, so many things. But um, could you talk a little bit about that? Here's the thing. I am a first gen, first daughter. So it is my nature to be like, <laughs> I'm a healthy. You ask for help, but I'm going to help you. But like, I get so geeked about that, right? Like I, my, my friends are consistently like, you run a free clinic for business strategy and advice. Um, I'm just like, it's truly, it's actually problematic. It's just like, it makes me not want to um, charge what I should be charging, which is like a whole other topic. I'm just, I just not, I'm like, I want to help people. I want to help people. I'm consistently, uh, I fill it out first. I think I'm an incredibly empathetic, um, empathetic person, but I'm also an incredibly empathic type person. So I can always tell if the vibe is there for, for some help. Um, 
And I think I'm really, I'm really good at like kind of either or thinking. So when I am offering help, when I am hearing from people, I want them to feel like they have options. They have choices. That's a big part of what I do is to say, if I'm going to help people build businesses that are that are um, authentic to them and that doesn't follow this certain way of having a business or being a business person, that means that they're able to thrive by having choices. So one of, you know, one of the core missions or taglines of SL Call is find your next opportunity for growth. And that's what it is. It's also, it's like highlighting opportunity for them and saying, I don't even need to do this with you or for you. I just want you to see the opportunities. So I am absolutely 110%. Like, I just can't help myself right now. Um, I mentioned this to you, like the whole kind of fast delivery grocery service um, trend that's happening right now is hurting a lot of bodegas and corner stores. And again, I'm from, I'm from New York, so we love a corner store. Even my accent <laughs> with all the O's. And I'm like walking into them and I'm like, how can I help you? I can change, but also how can I help you? <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Um, and, you know, just kind of a side note on that, like I started this um, kind of a thing focused on doing that, but I didn't necessarily know how to execute it. It was called Bodega Brands, but I help people like make their website or like get them hooked up to, um, you know, those, those sites, uh, Postmates and stuff like that. Um, but that's kind of an aside, but um, could you talk a little bit about why you're so passionate about helping businesses um, and business owners gain gain clarity? I, for me, it's two, it's, I think there's two main parts to that. The first mm-hmm. part was my first business, I was a wedding planner. So I'd come out of the nonprofit mm-hmm. event planning world and they had me fundraising up the wazoo and I don't like asking people to money. I'm just like, I don't be here no more. Also, I'm Haitian. I'm like, I can't be here to make my cross. What am I doing? What was I thinking in the first place? Y'all have our money, our earthquake money. So um, when I started my business as a, as a wedding planner, I had all this event experience and I was incredibly creative but I could not find clients. And I knew that I was better than all, like than a lot of the wedding planners that I've seen, but I just couldn't find clients. Mm. But it wasn't just that, starting a business was a spiritual experience in the most um, excruciating way possible. I spent, I remember spending six hours the first time I opened Photoshop to make a little blob of a logo. And I felt so stupid. I felt so ill-equipped. I felt so under-resourced. I didn't have any connections. I didn't have any help. And I knew that I was really good at this thing, but I, 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 I didn't know how to build the business around it. And they tell you that like your passion is enough and it, it, isn't, it isn't enough right your passion is, right. helps you it fuels you to learn all the other resources and things that you need but it, it's just on its own it's not enough and so I was just I started and then I started going to like um, business events and at the Brooklyn Public Library and, and as I was like growing in my career a little bit I was getting fancier and I got I crossed the Manhattan Bridge and I was going to these fancy events in the city so I when I started going to these events I'm like they're talking about completely different things here. So the book of uh, the Brooklyn Public Library it would be things as as like um, how to start the email list, and then I would go to this fancy rework event, and it was like how to use AI automation in order to retain customers. 
And I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why are the black and brown people getting this information? And then these specific people are getting a different type of information. And I was, I'm, I'm like, well, we'll never cross the wealth gap if the educational gap is there. So I think that's the, the first thing that really kind of built my desire to be a business strategist. I like to also call myself a business activist. And then as I pivoted, we'll do the short version, as I pivoted into brand strategy, marketing, and then now into business strategy, I spent a lot of my time working in emerging markets, specifically with governments, so governments in Latin America and government and the Bahamian government, bringing digital transformation. And, and the team that I was a part of, led by Christy Powell, really wanted to empower the small businesses on the island to get some of that economic value that tourism brings because mm-hmm. they were getting probably about four percent of the economic value of tourism and we all know we know atlantis we know carnival cruise we know disney cruise like everybody's stopping someone is going to exuma to pet the pigs like we understand this big kind of economy but the actual mm-hmm. people on the island had no access to it and mm-hmm. it killed me it killed me and the government would hire people on million dollar retainers to create subpar products that had no adoption strategy so they would create this software with no plan to how to deploy that and their plan was well people need to be less stupid to be honest that was the vibe of the plans mm-hmm. so both of those themes of me and I was so under-resourced but I was so passionate then how do we return economic value to people when we're doing digital transformation or innovation, there has to be a plan for working with the people. There has to be a plan for how we deploy these solutions. We have to not center ourselves, but center people. And that's why I'm I'm such a proponent of clarity because sometimes it's not a lack of confidence, it's a lack of clarity. Sometimes it's not a lack of know-how or skill, it's a lack of clarity. And a lack of clarity makes it it hits you in your insecurities it hits you in your willpower it hits you in your motivation and for us we don't even have the privilege like black brown you know historically marginalized people we don't even have the privilege to even gain clarity because we're trying to survive and so i've read all the business books where you know some dude is like i spent four hours thinking walking around my lawn i don't i don't have four hours to think (laughs) like i I have to work, right? I have to support my parents, my brothers, myself. I can go on and on and on, but but that's kind of yes. my relationship with clarity. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, one of the first things you mentioned to me was like, you need to get on TikTok. <laughs> you need more exposure to, <laughs> to the things that you say. Um you always have, you always know exactly what to do, you know. Um, and you know, you, you're a world-renowned business coach and entrepreneur and you know if someone listening was wondering where to start uh could you take us back to the moment that you decided that starting your own business was the route that you wanted to take i know you touched on it a little bit but uh, could you take us back to that one specific moment this is such a cliche but it was purpose i know that's such a cliche but here's what's really helpful there's a difference between and i read this in a leadership book and i wish i could remember the name 
there's a difference between calling and purpose. And I think that's really important for anybody who wants to be entrepreneurial to know and understand. Because there's many iterations of my business for being a lot. My, my wedding planning business is still, the purpose of my wedding planning business is still the same purpose in a business model design agency. It's the same purpose in my consumer research agency, which is I want to help people I want to like close gaps. I want to help people be seen and heard and felt and experienced. And that might have been through a wedding. That might be through feeling empowered and knowing how to create your own business. And so I feel like if we understand the differences between purpose and calling, then not everything would feel so do or die. Not everything would feel so high stakes. You'd be able to experiment when you're at your starting place. If you're going... So if you're starting from a place of so much fear, and there is going to always be fear there, but from a survival um, type of place, it for a lot of us it doesn't work that way. We won't be able to be motivated or consistent because we'll be we'll we'll set ourselves down. Um, so if you're starting, understand what your overall purpose is, and then your business is a calling. It's a version of your purpose. It will never be all of it. And, and that might be like, you know, strange thing to hear business strategists say, but your business will never fulfill your entire purpose. It'll just be a facet. It'll be like a calling, right? Um, think of it as like a vertical of your purpose. So once you kind of have that, once you work on your purpose and allow yourself to say, my business will be a calling, a version of my purpose, then you're able to experiment with what you are building and you're able to allow yourself, this is for me, to be multi-hyphenated. So again, and you don't feel the need to double down and make your business your entire identity or feel like, okay, this business is the only thing that I can do. You can continue to experiment and explore, which I wish more people invested in that time of experimentation and exploration. So if you have an idea, start to think of it as an experiment that gets you closer to your purpose, that gets you clarity, but it also gets you closer to your market as an experiment. I'm not saying invest you know, $10,000 in, in um, like supply or anything like that. I'm saying, what's a way you can experiment and let yourself be visible with the thing that you're passionate about? We call it a smoke test in the business model design world. It's say, okay, here's my purpose. Here's my calling. Here's an understanding of who my audience is. I understand them. I don't understand them in the sense of they're me, they're different versions of me, which a lot of business people do, or they're my friends and family, because after your friends and family are no longer your first customers, you realize that you don't actually have a business, but I need to get my product or my service closer to the market. I need to know what people think about this thing and allow yourself to be in that experimentation kind of phase without feeling like, again, it's do or die. I think that's the thing that a lot of people struggle with. Like, feeling like, oh, shoot, I have been a recruiter for three years. Like, what else can I do? And people are going to think I look silly doing um, sales or doing something else. Um, so you get stuck in that mode. And I feel like you definitely are really good at just synthesizing what is required, like what's required for the next step. Um, so, you know, when it comes to the challenges that you see a lot of business owners face these days, um, what are those typical like hurdles? Is it mindset? Is it, um, you know, limiting beliefs? Is it, um, yeah, what is it? What do you think? I'll separate it into two categories. The first one is a hundred percent mindset. 
when I discovered Carol Dweck's work and Angela, Angela Duckworth's work around fixed mindset, growth mindset, and grit, it was transformational for me because the lie that I was told is that, or the, the even if it's even if it's not the lie that you've been explicitly told, it's implicitly um, told to you that motivation is intrinsic, that clarity is intrinsic, that purpose is intrinsic. And so when I didn't have these things, or I didn't recognize them in myself, I honestly felt broken and I felt incapable of being an entrepreneur. I had really difficult because of trauma, like sitting down for four hours, it took me probably six hours, I mean, six years in order to be able to work a full work day without having so many emotional spirals. So that's the first thing is you get to decide how you want to work. You get to form your own work identity. You don't have to be like anybody else. You get to be bad at things and learn and not feel because I'm not naturally doing this, I'm unable to do that. And that is, you know, like equity is a big part of everything that I do. That is a huge pillar of white supremacy is to make you feel that you are lacking, you're not enough. If you don't naturally have something, you'll never have it. And definitely that's a whole mindset thing. So if you feel like there's something that's not natural to you, business having a business is not natural (laughs) it's just not natural the the confidence and the leadership and the skills that we're learning we are putting ourselves into a gym we are deciding to condition our bodies and minds in order to have this business the second thing is the reason why i love business model design people don't know how to typically don't know how to work both in their business and on their business and so people are either very good at creating the product but not selling the product or not running the business of the product. It feels like there's this compartment in your mind that says, I could either be really good at social media and tell everybody about my business, but I don't know how to plan my finances. I don't know how to make an operational plan for myself or I work in my business, I'm redesigning my website a million times, I'm creating all of these processes and all of these documentation and you know, I'm building the code at night, but I don't actually know how to work on my business, to grow it from a business development perspective, to understand the markets, to understand environmental and external factors, all of those things. And it feels like people either lean to one camp or to the other camp, but for the most part, we can learn to do both. I'm not. I'm not saying that not to hire people, but especially if you're a solo founder and you don't have the ability to hire out, you can learn how to work both in the everyday of your business and on your business, the growth of it, the vision of it, the purpose of it. I call it learning how to put your CEO hat and your COO hat. And the COO hat is a lot harder to put um, because you you will be confronting a lot of like imposter syndrome, you'll be confronting a lot of limiting beliefs when it comes to, okay, how do I make this dream actually happen? That's intimidating for a lot of people. It is. Um, So yeah, basically people are definitely dealing with a lot of things that we kind of gather, I guess, can you, do you consider it baggage or? um... (laughs) 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 do I consider it baggage that is such an interesting question um I consider it it is you it is whatever 
you think of it as. That sounds very, like, very Confucius, very elevated and um, vague, but if you view this as baggage, it will be baggage. If you view it as a ladder, it will be a ladder. If you view it as opportunities, it will be opportunities. Ultimately though, whether it's baggage, ladders, it's all about healing. There's a level of healing that you need to be engaging in every single week, every single day as an entrepreneur. That is my firm belief. Those who are not actively in that healing are, growing very irresponsible businesses. They may be very successful, <laughs> but the state of their character is, you know, it's not who you want to be. And healing doesn't just mean fixing what's broken. Healing also means pursuing health, right? Pursuing health as a founder, pursuing health as an entrepreneur, learning how to think bigger, learning how to, you know, say, you know what, it's going to cost some time and money to figure out how to be more green, but I'm, I'm going to pursue health. I'm going to push myself to think of solutions that are more green. And so again, whether it's baggage or whatever we want to call it, it is not only fixing what we may feel is broken, um, but it's pursuing a level of health and our minds and our bodies and the systems that we create and how we view the world that is necessary for you to progress. Yeah, I really appreciate that perspective. And, you know, um, something that you mentioned really kind of resonated, which was around um, people just not wanting to look stupid or not wanting to feel bad about starting. And I feel like, you know, you have to be courageous enough to be bad at it. Um, so that that's something that I, I just feel like not enough people uh, take into account to give themselves that empathy. Um, but so when you, you know, when you meet someone and then you start breaking down a process for solving a problem, is it kind of one, two, three, or like what's your uh, typical process for basically triaging your business patient and then um, going to the next step? I like that word triage. I see it a lot. Um, I come from a design thinking background, so it's not linear. The process is not linear. Mm -hmm. And if more people understood the process wasn't linear, people wouldn't necessarily feel like, oh, I can't go back to the drawing board because I've invested two years into this product. Um, the most successful companies are agile. COVID has shown us we need to be agile um, owners and have agile organizations where we can pivot and change or we can be agile enough to stick it out and make subtle changes and, and all of that stuff. So the process is, is typically, I, I actually make the process not about the founder, but about the people the founder wants to serve. Mm -hmm. That I think is what makes us different is truly creating like empathy driven, good products, great services is to say, right now your reality is being shaped by your perception, but we need to see what's real. The thing that's gonna be the realest is what your consumers are experiencing. Your reality may shift depending on who you talk to, what podcasts you listen to, how your cash flow is happening. But if you can ground yourself first in what are we doing? Who are we serving? Why do we want to serve them? What's happening in the market? If you allow yourself to become curious about the people that you're serving, that is how I love to start and to say, okay, what needs to happen in order for you to serve them well, for you to show up in the way that you want to show up? 
that's one of the first things I always do. The second thing is there's a lot of dreaming that happens and to say, what do you want to build? But not just what you want to build, how do you want to build it? I think it's a question we don't ask ourselves enough. We're too busy trying to be like, I want this huge company, but like, how do you want to run it though? Do you want to be there every single day? Do you want a team? Do you want to have multiple businesses? That All of those things are going to affect the actual business that you build and how you show up for your business every single day. So we, we, we um, root it in the market, who you want to serve, and then we root it in what's a business that you want to build, but how do you want to build this business? Because it doesn't make sense for me to come as a business strategist, help you build, you know, a, like a seven-figure, eight-figure business, and then you realize that you actually want to be a traveling nomad. It doesn't make sense to, to, to build something. Um, build what you think you have to build versus building what you would like to actually build and then go from there. Okay, man, I am so appreciative of this conversation. So if we were in, so let's say I am um, an operational person working in, um, let's say uh, a marketing agency or let's just say marketing agency. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm good at marketing. I'm good at uh, SEM, SEO, but for some reason, I don't know how to find clients. What mm-hmm. should I do now? I'm a big content head. I will okay. always believe in co- inbound marketing and content creation as ability to build trust. I think mm-hmm. that's one of the first things to do is to say, give people a reason to pay attention to you, to stick around, and then finding the best channels to communicate to them and saying, the people that you want to serve, like what what words like trigger their their attention and where are they hanging out? If you are a SBO, SEM person and your job specifically, I work with e-commerce businesses, I'm I'm gonna be like, we're getting on TikTok. You know, I've got a lot of TikTok off. We're getting on Pinterest. We're going to invest in some big form content pillars that we could break into multiple micro content um, experiences and moments and creating opportunities. That's why I always talk about writing your next opportunity for growth. I would also say, hey, you know what? SEO, SEM, maybe you need to find a key partner. Your key partner are going to be ad agencies. We don't have the time to do research to figure out um, what are the best keywords to use for paid ads? They're just really want to focus on managing the ad budget. Maybe that's what your business is, is I partner with um, paid ad agencies all over the world to deliver the most spot on keywords for your audience. So there's always an, there's always something there. It can say, hey, do you want more clients that are e-commerce and founders? Do you want to partner with an agency? And that, that becomes your business model. It's like, what do you want your business model to be? What opportunities are possible there. I would even say if you're a marketing agency with everything that's moving now is saying, okay, what software can be built, right? What software can be built that mm-hmm. says, let me go crawl websites and build an insight report for somebody to say, here are all the biggest rankings for the thing that you're doing, but make it really accessible and saying, by clicking this button, we're gonna generate five ads for you, right? We're gonna, that can automatically happen from the keywords that you have used. We're going to generate ads for you because AI is a big thing that's happening now. So mm-hmm. we'll figure out like different cool ways to create a business model that is going to be a little bit different than what's happening. Borrow from a couple of different industries to build something new. And for anybody listening, that's not a marketing person. You could just basically insert you, the thing you do 
with the concepts that um, Najla shared. That's awesome. Thank you, Najla. Um, so we're going to go ahead and transition into the speed round. Super excited mm-hmm. about this. So I, so you ready? <laughs> Drum roll. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. So equity or invoice? Invoice. Equity or invoice? Yes. Uh, invoice. Invoice. <laughs> um, 110%. The equity, if you don't understand how equity works and if you don't have a legal team around you, you will never get what you need to get. And most of the times you should not be in an equity oriented relationship with every single company. There's some companies you just don't want to be attached to. Like you just don't. Um, Additionally, for a lot of the work that I do, it's the same amount of work regardless of how much equity I'm getting. So I'm still putting in a level of work regardless if it's 5% or 10%. I don't change how hard I work for somebody depending on how much I'm, I'm getting back. Love it. Love it. One day workshop or three day summit? You're killing me. One day workshop <laughs> or three day summit. I'm going to say three day summit because I'm a chatter and I'm like, we can go deeper and deeper and deeper together. <laughs> right. I see you tomorrow. Um, yeah. So <laughs> uh, work from home, office or hybrid? Hybrid. Hybrid. I work from home and the energy is not always there. I'm very influenced by the sun. The sun is too powerful. And I, sometimes you just need a different vibe. The ability to work with people who are also working, but we're not talking, we're not having a conversation, grabbing my coffee, doing my little New York thing. I, I feel it. Um, Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts? Neither. I'm going local. I want to go to the bodega. Let's go. Um, all right. So here's the last one. Beyonce or Sierra? Rob, you are killing me. You are killing me. <laughs> I'm. You are killing me. I'm going to pick Beyonce, but not for the reasons why I would pick Beyonce. There's a whole conversation happening with Sierra and Russell Wilson and about like misogyny, misogynoir that we'll get into in a different podcast. But... I, this is the reason why I'm picking Beyonce. When Homecoming came out, people don't realize that music and film and documentary has been a big part of culture. But there's always that question as who cares enough about Black culture in order to document it in a way where you can understand the art. You may not think of Beyonce's song as art, but the way her process is just as powerful as the Beatles. And so I grew up watching um, music documentaries from like, the Foo Fighters and, you know, alt-90s my, alt people. And when I saw what Beyonce created, the ability for 50 years, somebody to say, here's this archive of this artist named Beyonce who created music. And this is the process that she engaged in. For me, that is so beautiful. The idea that our processes are worth documenting. The the making of our art is worthy of some is worthy of, of being seen and understood and previewed, regardless of what you feel about the product. The process is still worthy and the art behind it, I will always I will always love her for that. Yeah, I hey, I agree with you on that. Um and honestly I feel like all of us have a masterful 
um, if, you know, if you like what you do, you have a masterful way of going about the business um, in your daily workflow, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. I think that's, that, that is beautiful. And documenting that would be cool. Honestly, I feel like you need somebody to uh, record you like, like how, like, and just follow you all day. That would be a, an epic vlog. I feel like that would be dope. <laughs> Um, so we're going to transition into the last piece, which is execution day. So Najla, um, you are a living legend because you execute on a consistent basis. Um, I've seen this, we know this. Um, and if there was one thing that you would urge people to do, um, that are listening to go out and do immediately, um, what would that be? Go out and do immediately. I would say... Pay attention to what's happening in the world and what that's going to mean in two years from now. I think it's really important for us to not consistently be reacting and what's happening today, but what that means. The ability to create those stories and look around for businesses and say, I have $10,000 in the bank right now, what this means in two years. Um, right now, gas prices are going up, what this means in two years. Like, being able to have that kind of storytelling of cause and effect would make you a better um, strategist. It'll make you a better founder, CEO, friend, um, caretaker to whether it's your parents or to your kids. Practicing that kind of insight gathering will change the way that you think so you are not so distracted by what's happening right now, but you can understand the bigger context of it. Thank you, Najla. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for just sharing a, a bit of your brilliance. I know that you could, you you crush these environments in the workshops, in you know one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations, always being uplifting, positive, and just giving your insights um and i think it's so special so i'm i'm glad we were able to have this conversation today i don't think it's going to be the last one to be honest um i hope not so <laughs> uh thank you for just uh sharing your thoughts today and um i hope you have a really good day thank you and i just want to i just want to brag about you for a bit like just getting <laughs> to i do just getting to know you over the last couple of months you care you care that people are feeling fulfilled. One of my one of my life quotes yeah. is, many men or women or they live lives of quiet desperation. And I know that you so feel the desire for people to not live underneath the desperation of unfulfilled dreams. But you're also so humble, you're so kind, you're so willing to learn, even though yeah. you are kind of an impressive person. And I just really appreciate that about you. Thank you for saying that. I definitely received that. And see, this is the type, this is the vibe that we have all the time. Um, so Najla, yeah. thanks again. And yeah, looking forward to many more of these conversations with you. Absolutely. Thanks, Rob. All right. Thank you. Real big. I know one day I would do it real big.